This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. You know, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, um, but good fiction is a harbinger of incredible truths, truths about who we are and who God is. Uh, that is why best-selling author Mitch Albom's works are so fascinating. His mega bestseller, Tuesdays with Maury, helped readers see him, as one reviewer said, as a, quote, magical storyteller who imbues hope into universal tales of our human imperfections and eternal search for meaning. Now, the latest work is actually a novel. It's called The Little Liar. It's about the intertwining lives of three children during one of the darkest times in human history, the Holocaust. But while the story is fiction, it has a lot to say about what's happening today in the Middle East and beyond, and Mitch joins me now. So welcome. Hi. Tell me about this story, The Little Liar. So it starts in Greece during World War II. A little boy named Nico, who's 11 years old, has never told a lie in his life. He's known in his village as the most honest kid. And when the Nazis invade, they find out about him, and they kidnap him and decide they're going to use him as a weapon. And they say to him... Listen, you can go back to your family. All you have to do is just stand on these train tracks for a few days and tell the people who are getting on the trains that they're going to new jobs and new homes and everything's going to be fine. And then you can go back to your family. So having never told a lie and thinking he's telling the truth, he does this until the very last day and the final train. He sees his family being pushed inside one of the boxcars. And he finds out that these trains are actually going to the concentration camps and all the people are going to be killed. And he is not allowed to go and he's separated from his family and it follows him from that point through the war and for decades later showing the ramifications of this lie that he was kind of forced to tell he actually loses the ability to speak the truth and he becomes a liar he becomes like almost pathological and he takes on new names new identities all because he's ashamed of what he did and meanwhile his family and this girl who loved him when they were separated spend their whole lives trying to find him again to let him know that they understand, you know, but he, they can't find him because he doesn't exist anymore. He's, you know, changed everything. And, and it's all about trying to get to forgiveness uh, and, and, and the ramifications of the deceptions that we tell or are forced to tell. You know, obviously it starts, it, it makes me think of that phrase, um, what a tangled web we weave when yeah. first we try the to ones we love, we do deceive. Yeah. But the idea is that he really felt like he was talking the truth, that he right. was speaking the truth. And that right. has a lot to say about his character in that he saw truth in everybody else because right. that's what he had right. in himself. But that's the most vulnerable people are the ones who believe that they're doing the right thing. And, you know, there's a famous expression, uh, a lie told once is easily detected as a lie, but a lie told a thousand times becomes the truth. And that's what happened during that period of time. A lot of people just started repeating the same thing and suddenly it was the truth. And so 
it's cautionary in that we live in a time where people kind of pick their own truths also and they kind of say, well, I'm going to listen to this and not listen to that or whatever. And we have to understand that the truth is singular. It's not, there's not 16 different truths. And we have to work hard to try to find out what it is or else, you know, there are a lot of ramifications. The voice in the book, the novel, is the voice of truth. Yeah. And that is an interesting kind of concept. Well, how did you choose that idea that the voice, the narrator, is the voice of truth? Yeah. Well, I thought if you're going to write a book about truth and lies, you know, you write it in the third person, you can sound a little preachy. You write it in the first person, you can sound a little personal. But if the narrator is truth itself, then truth gets to say, what are you all doing? You know, mm -hmm. speaks to human beings. Why are you destroying me? And since this is a show that deals with faith, there's a, a parable, a religious parable that I use in the book that says when God decided he was going to create the world, before he created mankind, he pulled all of his angels together to ask him if they thought it was a good idea. And the angel of mercy said, yes, create man because man will be merciful. And the angel of righteousness said, yes, create man because man will do righteous deeds. Only the angel of truth said, don't create man because he will lie and be false. And God took the angel of truth and cast him out of heaven and cast him down to earth. Now, there are many interpretations as to why he did that. In my book, I say he did it because... Truth was meant to smash into billions of pieces, and and every one of those pieces went inside a human being, mm -hmm. and there they either thrive or they die. And that's the choice that we make. Are we going to be honest or are we not? And if we're not, we're going to kill that little piece of truth. And if we are, we're all connected by that truth. So um, I just thought telling it as truth, and truth even tells that story in the <laughs> par parable. And then after it's, after it's finished saying, you know, it's thrown to earth, he said, well, as your young people say, that hurts. You know, so <laughs> so there's, there's a little bit of, you know, it's, it's an interesting voice to tell a book in. Well, it's a very interesting parable because, of course, you know, the angel of light, Lucifer, was cast out mm -hmm. of, of God's presence. Uh, doesn't say where he went, but. Right. Uh, <laughs> Some people have a pretty good idea. Or yeah. Formed yeah. ideas. Um, but it's interesting, the idea of truth, because um, when a lot of people, when I talk, have these deeper discussions about faith and about truth, their one question is, well, who's truth? Mm -hmm. I mean, as if truth right. is malleable, truth right. is whatever you want it to be. What is your take on that? Well, I think there are some universal truths that hold no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, it's not good to kill. Life is precious. Children must be protected. These aren't hard things to accept as universal truths. And then there's the variations of truth. Uh, in fact, truth says at the beginning of the book, this is a story that you can trust and you can trust it because I'm the only thing you can trust. Some people say you can trust nature, but nature is fickle. Species thrive and die out. Some people say you can trust faith. Which faith, I say? And that's that's the arguments that a lot of religions have one to the other. Well, ours is right and yours is wrong or yours is right. Well, how can yours be right if ours is wrong? How can we all coexist? Right. So the only way that faiths can coexist is to find the universality that's between all of them. And to me, anyhow, honest faiths that celebrate gratefulness, creation of life, you know, being good to one another. This is not much different between basic tenets of Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, parts of Islam. So you just have to find those universalities and then say, well, this is true for everybody. Um, and the rest is sort of 
interpreted by mankind. Well, I mean, I think to a certain extent, I, I kind of agree and I understand the differences between faiths. And if you actually, I mean, C.S. Lewis talked about how if you go back to a lot of the core tenets of how people behave, they're very similar. Right. But at their core, they're actually quite different. Mm-hmm. And if Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, you know, that's either true or not. Yeah. And so Islam says, no, Jesus was not the Son of God. He did not rise from the dead. He is. He was a prophet, but nothing else. Well, that's an that's an that is a a quite strong basic difference. disagreement. It's a yeah. basic disagreement. Now we yeah. can all get along and disagree yeah. about that, but ultimately, if that's truth, if that's universally true that Jesus is the way to God, then that's going to it doesn't have to create conflict, but it certain has has certain ramifications for whether someone is saved or not or yeah. salvation. So which these are, we will only know. When that moment comes. Well, and that's true, but it's if it, if if this is the truth, if this is the the truth, then those who actually believe then have an obligation to say, if you want to be saved, then that's what I have to preach to you. I can't water that down, yeah. and that's I think one of the problems. You know, we've got we've got a very pluralistic society that really wants to be tolerant and get along with people because that's the way societies can operate in peace. Right. But what we've seen now. In the Middle East is what's happening when people, you know, really say my truth wins out and yours right. doesn't. Right. You know, right. you've got Hamas attacking right. um, Israel. But I also think that, you know, I want to get back to this Nico character because I think it's very interesting. Actually, my, my husband's Greek oh, okay. and his last name is Nicholas. Okay. And so I think of the word he's right. sometimes people call him Nico. Right. Or Nico. Sure. And uh, his first trip to Greece was when he was 11 years old. So mm-hmm. that immediately <laughs> struck me about, and he has this incredible ability to tell you what he thinks, and he doesn't hide it. Mm-hmm. So there's this. I, so the minute I saw this character, I'm thinking, this is my 11 year old husband mm. <laughs> when he was 11 years old in Greece. Yeah. What made you go back to Greece? Because well, I don't think a lot of people had a lot of connection with Greece in exactly. the Second World War. Well, I lived in Greece when I got out of college, so I knew a little bit more about it than. Some people do. And I wanted to tell a Holocaust story, you know, a story set in the background of the Holocaust that hadn't been done before. Many of the books, many great books, have been set in Poland and set in France and Germany, but you never hear about Greece. Most people don't even realize that Greece was part of World War II or that the Nazis invaded it. But the truth is, the largest Jewish population destroyed by the Nazis was Greek. Wow. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. 90% of the Greek Jews were wiped out by the Nazis. 90%. Can you imagine 90% of Christians were wiped out in America? 90% of the Jews in Greece were wiped out by the Nazis. So I wanted to set it there. In that, and particularly in the town of Thessalonica, which lost 95% of its people, um, because it once was a town that thrived on multiple religions living alongside one another. Uh, You know, it goes back to 300 BCE. It's a really, really ancient city. It's it's in the the New Testament, you know, where where it was a Paul preached there, whatever. So um, to see that in 1941, it was a thriving Jewish community. 17 Jewish newspapers and umpteen synagogues. And two years later, everybody was dead. Wow. Two years. 
So, I had no idea. Yeah, well, it's one of the things that I wanted to bring out, even though this is a novel and it's an inspirational story, but it, everything in it is historically accurate and all the things that took place there, including when the Nazis came in and, and they, they gathered on a Saturday morning, which is when Jewish people go to synagogue. Mm-hmm. Um, they called all the Jewish men from 18 to 45 and made them gather in a square, 9,000 men, and made them do calisthenics for eight hours under the blazing hot sun, up, down, up, down, up, down, for no reason whatsoever other than humiliation. And meanwhile, if they fell, they were kicked. If they if they fell asleep or, or, or passed out, dogs were sicked on them. If they tried to run, they were shot. And while all this went on, the people of the town watched. They watched. And some of them laughed and some of them pointed and some of them took pictures. And that kind of cruelty... It didn't happen 700 years ago. It happened 80 years ago. Wow. You know, there are people alive who can still tell you that story. So um, I just thought it was, you know, I grew up, Lauren, in a neighborhood where there were Jewish people, lived a couple houses down from me, older Jewish people, and they always wore long sleeves wherever they went. And I remember asking my mother as a kid, it's so hot outside. Why are they wearing sweaters or long sleeves? And she said, well, they have numbers tattooed on their wrists and they don't want people to see. And I said, well, why not? She said, well, we'll tell you when you're older. (laughs) Well, I'm older. I know now why, but those people aren't here anymore. They're not here to tell the story. And I feel it's, it's our obligation. And certainly if I've been blessed to have a bit of a following and, and, uh, and to be able to tell stories, to tell a story that continues to remind people about this very dark period of time in our history, even though it has a hopeful ending and it's inspirational at the mm-hmm. end and all that, uh, so that we don't forget about it. Because you forget, you can repeat. You know, when I was talking, reading the synopsis of the story, and you were talking about how the little boy never told a lie, and that that's why people believed him, because right. he could, they knew right. they knew he was truthful. Right. And the effects of that lie on him, when he finally, when that revelation of knowing that that was a lie how it affected him, but is there any indication of how the lie perpetuated affected the officers who made him tell the lie? I mean, there's got to be retribution and some kind of judgment for those people as well. Well, uh, I do. The story follows four characters, Nico, the girl who loves him, whose name is Fanny, his brother, Sebastian, who survives the concentration camps, and Udo Graf, who's the Nazi who set the whole thing up. And it follows him for 40 years also. And it does show and get into the ramifications of what he did. And, you know, he, he almost feels sorry, almost mm. feels sorry for this, this kid and what he did to him. Because when he, when he grabs him on the railroad track and the, his family is going in and he says, um, my family, I want to be with my family. And he says, I said you would see them again. And he said, but I want to go with them. I want to go to the new jobs. I want to go to the new homes. And he says, there are no new homes, you stupid Jew. You know, and, and, wow. and then when he says it, he, he looks at the boy's face and he sees how he has just broken this kid in half. And he just walks away from him uh, because he doesn't want to look at him. And he walks away from him and leaves him alone. So I do follow him and I, and I do follow the ramifications of the cruelty of what he did and how he lives with it as well. Um, and... I follow the brother who believes that his brother did it on purpose and so spends his life searching for his brother to take revenge on him and only at the end finds out, you know, what the truth of the matter was. So even though, as you correctly point out, he didn't know he was lying, this is the damage that a lie can do. One lie can just crack 
so many things and so many relationships and, and even an unintentional one, which is why it's so dangerous and why the truth is so precious. I'm just fascinated by this whole idea of truth and the novel and you doing this exegesis basically of three different or four different faces of truth. Yeah. You know, the idea of how it re- how you react to it, how you interpret it. That's right. But the idea, and I think the most vulnerable and the most dangerous is a truth that, that a lie that peddles as the truth. Yeah. That's yeah. the most dangerous thing the world really has today is that a lie that is now peddled as the truth. Right. And, and that is, Lauren, absolutely how the Nazis were able to thrive. They weren't able to thrive because they had bigger guns than everybody else. They had better lies. And they told their own people, if we just get rid of the Jews, our country will thrive. They're the ones who are holding us back. And people bought into that. If we just, you know, purify our neighboring countries of the people who are, you know, non-Aryan, we'll be a better world. And they bought into that. And the soldiers bought into it. And they dehumanized other people. They're not, you don't have to worry about killing them because they're not really people. It's like killing an ant. Well, if you buy into that, then you don't mind killing them. You know, I don't believe that these that the people who participated, you know, who followed Hitler and became Nazis or part of that, at the beginning were oriented towards just killing people willy-nilly. They were convinced of a lie, that these aren't really people, that they're subhuman. That's literally the words that, 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 that Nazis use. They're subhuman. They're, 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 they're vermin. They're, they're, they're rats. Wouldn't you kill a rat if it was in your house? You feel bad about killing a rat. A rat's going to hurt you. So if you can get people to follow those kind of lies, you can do anything. And, and what happened in the 40s of this country only 80 years ago was you can do anything was proof that you can do anything nobody could imagine that that you could pull that off and they did for many years until people finally and and not only that i mean there's a a story in the book and that i I reference about when people started to suspect that something was going on these concentration camps this danish group a danish red cross group said we need to come and look at one of these camps we're hearing bad things. So the Nazis said, all right, you know, they set up a time. They came in. They beautified the camp. They planted a bunch of trees <laughs> and stuff like that. They cleaned up the Jewish prisoners. They gave them suits. They did their hair. And they said, if you breathe one word, we're going to kill you as soon as they're gone. And then they invited these people in and they put on a concert. And I have footage of it that I watch. It's chilling. And you oh see these Jewish prisoners with stars, still wearing stars, but their hair is all done up. And they're, and they're in suits and they're listening to this classical music being played. And of course, when the Red Cross left, they wrote, oh, everything's fine. It's just a work camp. You know, I don't know what everybody's complaining about. And they got away with that for enough years to kill millions of people, six million Jews and many Christians and, and gypsies and, and, and Romani people and, and the rest. And anyone who thinks that can't happen again doesn't understand how history repeats itself. And we're living that right now. When you look at what's happening in Israel right now and the Hamas attack, do you see the similarities? Sadly, I see a lot of uh, people willing to run with a lie. Um, f- Interestingly enough, I thought that I had created this wholly original kind of story. I've never heard a story about a boy's honesty kind of being used against him. And that was part of the appeal of writing the book. And then over the weekend, I was talking to a news correspondent who just got back from Israel. And when he heard about my book, he said, oh, this is incredible. Do you Have you heard about this Israeli kid, Tomer? I said, no. Tomer apparently lived on one of the border towns when the Hamas terrorists came over. They kidnapped him, grabbed him and threatened to kill his family unless he went door to door in the village, knocked on the doors and said, it's safe to come out. They're gone. 
and he did this, and when the people came out, they were shot. And then, and he only did this to save his family, and then after it was done, they killed him. So they killed their little liar, you know, and this whole concept of, of, you know, using people's honesty against them just happened, just happened this past month. So the idea that it can't happen again or we don't have that evil in us anymore, nobody is that easily fooled is, is folly. You know, we, we, you know, we can fall for anything um, if you don't stand for the right things and, yeah. and uh, you have to stand for the truth. Um Mitch Album, thank you so much for being a Lighthouse Faith podcast. The book is called The Little Liar. Uh, you are celebrating about the 25th or the 26th anniversary of Tuesdays with Maury. Yeah. A huge bestseller. And uh, the stories are just as powerful uh, right now. And I would urge everybody to get a hold of that book because even though it's a novel, it really is telling the truth about who we are. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith podcast. Good to see you. And thank you very much for listening to Lighthouse Faith podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos-Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.